Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. Happy Valentine's Day. The podcast is actually coming out on Valentine's Day. So if you're listening on this beautiful heart day, I hope your heart and your home is full of love. I hope it's full of love this day, this week, and all the year through. And I hope that you remember that we love because God first loved us. This is the month that we honor heart health. And because of that, I thought it would be a good time to kind of talk about that. There are several reasons, actually. One is because I'm taking the blood of humans class, my nutritional blood chemistry, and learning lots of cool things in there. And I thought that I would share some of that with you today. But I also had an experience recently where I went to a, a little women's gathering and, you know, we had a presentation on heart health. And it was all I could do to keep my mouth shut. Like literally, I felt like God was sitting on my head <laughs> to clamp my mouth down. Um, because the information that was shared is just kind of that, you know, that old rigmarole, you know, don't eat too much fat, eat hard healthy canola oil, eat low fat dairy. And girl, you know me. You know, I was just sitting there with like steam coming out of my ears. And you probably know the things I wanted to say. Honestly, I wanted to just, I was so tempted to put my hand up and just be like, can I add something? <laughs> and that's when I felt like God was like, no, no, you can't keep your mouth shut. This is not the time or the place. You know, that was not my, not my dealio. But you know what? This, this is, this right here is my dealio. So this is where I get to raise my hand and share all the things that I wanted to talk about and share the other day. But the two big things I wanted to share the other day, um, you can probably guess them, the, the big one, um, I wanted to say, no, don't eat canola oil or any of the other inflammatory oils. It's probably one of the worst things that you could do for your heart. And when it comes to dairy, God did not make cows with low-fat udders. That's just kind of one of my go-tos. And I think it's a good one. It's a good reminder that when um, dairy comes out of a cow, there's, you know, there's not a low-fat udder. There's not a 1% udder. There's not even a 2% udder. It just all comes out full fat, right? Um, and I think that's important to remember. So anyway, I did not raise my little hand there. I kept my mouth shut. And, you know, if if you're a local and you kind of, you were at this gathering, you know what I'm talking about. I love all the people that were there. I love the speaker that was there. It is just a reminder that there's still a lot of misinformation out there. You know, sometimes I forget that I'm kind of in this bubble where um, I've been immersed in this for so long and I've surrounded myself with so many people that are that are in the same boat have the same approach to health and wellness and read the kind of same things I do and even put myself in the company of people who are wanting to understand and be open to um, to learning like you know all of the people in the Christian Health Club and and the people and you here you know that are open and wanting to learn and Understanding that some of the things that you're hearing may not quite jive with what you've heard over these last years about, you know, how to eat and such. Um, and as I was sitting in that room and I was looking around the room like, really, is nobody, is nobody confused here? <laughs> is nobody going to pop up and say and ask even a question like, well, I have heard, you know, that margarine is not really good for you or you know i have heard this no, no no questions just lots of nodding was happening and it you know made my heart sad like this is this is just 
going, being swallowed, going down the hatch as if this is what is going to make you healthy. So again, I, um, I kept my mouth shut because I, and that's what God was calling me to do. But today is a perfect time to talk about some of this stuff again, because we are, um, honoring heart health month and I am smack dab in the middle of my nutritional blood chemistry class in learning so much about this. And as part of that, I had to run a blood panel on myself. So, you know, the big thing that we're learning to do is to read these um, these com- comprehensive blood panels, you know, that you might go to your doctor and, and get annually with all of these different markers, including, you know, these cardiovascular lab markers. And so we have to practice on our own lab and we have to read and interpret lots of other practice labs. And so I got mine back and there there were some eye-raising results, actually. Um, several things, and we're going to talk about some of that today. But, you know, if my labs, if I would take them to a conventional doctor, I mean, they would look at it and think I was a hot mess and I would be a prime candidate for a statin by conventional terms. Um, Now, luckily, I understand the context around these markers. And that's what I hope to offer you today. Some more context, some things to think through. If you get your labs back, you know, your annual um, blood labs, and you are looking at those. And of of course, there's some explanation on there. Your doctor is going to explain stuff to you. I want to just give you, uh, you know, more things to think about, especially coming from like this uh, nutritional type approach. And so as you walk through those numbers, um, you will have more in mind to think about. So let's talk about it. The first thing to understand is that there's no one set lab range. Okay, lab ranges vary from lab to lab, region to region, and typically are based on the average health of that region's population. So the lab ranges, so you know, when you're looking at your labs, and it's like, your number is here, and here's the lab range that you want to fall in. Okay, those lab ranges aren't necessarily based on optimal health. They are based on the statistical average or norm of where most people fall. But we know that there are a lot of unhealthy people and that most people are eating a standard American diet, what we call a SAD. It's SAD, standard American diet, full of processed foods, sugar, and inflammatory oils. And they are not living in optimal health, yet they fall within a quote unquote normal range because sadly, suboptimal health has become the norm. And this is really so disheartening for people who are suffering from health problems and hope to get answers from their blood work, but everything comes back quote unquote fine and normal. And that's because you're being lumped into a lab range with Joe Schmo who eats fast food, drinks Cokes, and sits on his butt all day. Or you may be within normal lab range and feel okay, feel fine, but not realize there's a potential problem brewing under the surface. You know, there may be a false impression of your true health. Now, a functional lab range is different. And that's what I'm learning to use and what other holistic practitioners will use as a lens to assess the results that come back on your panel. Where standard lab numbers are meant to assess disease and look for pathology, a functional or optimal range is more narrow and it assesses risk before disease develops. Functional ranges are based on a combination of current research, what reflects truly optimal health, and it takes into account normal ranges from 30 to 40 years ago when people were healthier than they are today. Now, that was about the time things were starting to turn, but back then they certainly um, were more healthy than they are today. And so those ranges were a little bit more tweaked for optimal health. A functional range is tighter. It's a tighter range. Okay. And we don't use it as a diagnostic tool. It's more like a preventative tool. You know, we want to identify and correct imbalances or deficiencies before they become a full-blown health crisis. So I always want to remind you, I'm not a doctor. 
and I'm not looking at a panel in the same way as your doctor, okay? And I'm not diagnosing anything, but I'm looking for signs and patterns of imbalance so that we can use nutrition, supplement, and lifestyle changes to get ahead of it and support the body for better long-term health. Now, occasionally the standard lab range and the functional lab range will match up, but in many, many cases, like I said, the functional range is going to be tighter and not so broad. Okay, so I thought that we might go through some of the key cardio lab markers. Um, and so you can, you know, you can pull out one of your old tests or a current test and kind of look at it and, and go through it and see how yours matches up to maybe these more functional ranges. And again, take into context some things we're talking about. Now, the first marker I want to talk about is not actually a lab marker. It is, um, it is just a kind of your own little measurement that you can do at home. It's the waist to height ratio measurement. And it can tell you a lot about your health. And it's nice because it's free. You can do it at home. You can track it regularly. And um, it really is a good indication of a health risk, um, cardiovascular um, health risk. So what you do is you want to measure your waist. So first thing in the morning, get a measuring tape, measure your waist circumference around your belly button area. You want to relax your belly. Don't try to suck it in. We need an accurate measurement. Okay. And so what you're going to do is divide the number of inches of your waist by the number of inches of your height. That is your waist to height ratio. And you want that number to be below 0.5. Okay, so simply speaking, you want your waist less than half, half or less of your height. So someone who is five foot five, which would be 65 inches, should shoot for a waistline smaller than 33 or 32 inches. And if it's more than half, you are at greater risk for insulin resistance, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. Several studies have found that waist-to-height ratio is a more valid measurement than BMI. BMI overestimates fat in muscular people and can't give information about fat distribution, whereas waist-to-height ratio is a better assessment for central fat, the fat around your middle, which has a greater associated health risk than fat stored in other parts of the body. Okay, so this is a great, free, easy-to-track doesn't require a blood draw measurement that you can do to check in with yourself as a indicator um, in risk of cardiovascular disease, um, insulin resistance, um, and obesity. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about though the first actual blood lab marker, one that I think is key when we're talking about cardiovascular health, and that is your hemoglobin A1C. Okay. Why? What does that have to do with heart health? Well, research shows that a higher HbA1c is linked to a higher risk of heart disease. And what this marker does is give you a good picture of the way your body handles or doesn't handle sugar. So blood sugar handling. I've shared with you many times here that blood sugar dysregulation comes back as a problem for 90% of my clients. You know, when I do a nutritional uh, assessment with them, not a, not a blood lab assessment, no testing, but basically um, a questionnaire, you know, an extensive questionnaire that I have had clients fill out, you can get a sense of how the body is burdened by poor blood sugar regulation. Um, you know, a lot of the things that have to do with, you know, with weight, with energy, with sugar cravings, all that kind of stuff. And it's one of the major reasons I created Feast to Fast. I have told y'all that because I have found myself explaining the mechanisms of carbs and blood sugar and energy and insulin and fat storage over and over and over to individual clients when finally I was like, oh my goodness, there's got to be a more efficient way, you know, where I can reach more people. So now that is what Feast to Fast is really all about. It's all of that same important information. Um, and we talk about all those things and, um, and it's more fun, you know, it's more fun to do as a group and I can spend more time with you than I can in one-on-one -on -one sessions. 
um, because one-on-ones are, you know, you might have me for an hour or 30 minutes every so often and Feast of Fast, we're like engaging every day. And there's videos and all the program guides and you just get a lot more information and it's more fun to do together. But blood sugar is a huge health foundation. And when it is off, your energy, your weight, your moods, your hormones, your adrenals, and your cardiovascular health will suffer. Now, fasting glucose is often a marker we see on labs, but that's more of a snapshot of your glucose levels at the time of the blood draw, whereas your HbA1c provides more of an average over the previous few months. Okay, so we can see kind of what your blood sugar was doing over the previous months as opposed to kind of the snapshot of the one day. But together, they complement each other for a better, bigger picture. But you really want to watch that HbA1c um, and make sure it's kept in the optimal range, the functional range of 4.1% to 5.4%. By the way, you'll be able to find all of this information in the show notes, okay? So if you are like, I'm not going to remember these numbers, (laughs) why would you? Um, You can go to the show notes and all of these numbers and reference ranges will be there. I did a Zoom call with the Christian Health Club about all of these markers and I will post the functional lab ranges in your portal, CHC members, um, so you have that reference. But what's important to know is that an elevated HbA1c can be an indicator of insulin resistance or diabetes. So we want to catch that and support the body way before it gets there. And nutritionally speaking, that is about keeping carbs in healthy ranges like we do in Feast to Fast, definitely not overdoing the refined and processed carbs, and also watching those inflammatory oils, you know, that I'm always warning you about despite what conventional advice says. Okay, the next big thing we're going to tackle here um, is cholesterol. The big boy cholesterol. Now I've done a podcast about cholesterol with Carly, um, which was great. You know, she's a nutritional therapist and also a nurse, and she's currently in graduate school to become a nurse practitioner. And I always love having her as a resource, you know, both here publicly, you know, on the podcast, um, in the Christian Health Club, but also just personally. We are always, you know, throwing ideas back and forth to each other, talking about supplements, talking about different health um, conditions. And I love having her perspective as somebody who has a foot in both worlds, you know, in conventional and the alternative holistic. So if you haven't listened to that podcast with her on cholesterol, do that. You know, she goes into depth and and gets nerdy, you know, which I love. And what I'll just do here is kind of a surface refresher. Um, Although it's hard. It's such a complicated topic and there's just still so much research being done. There's so much misinformation out there. Um, But, you know, I do think the good thing is, you know, I say the tide's turning, but after what I heard the other day, not sure. But I think I think at least most conventional practitioners are past just looking at an overall cholesterol total, you know, or at least I hope so. You really have to look at the individual numbers But even then, those numbers need to be looked at in context. Now, my total cholesterol came back at 217, which is considered a little high by conventional standards. A few years ago, it was like around, it was creeping up near 250. Definitely way high by conventional standards, which considers anything over 200 to be high. Now, a functional a uh, total cholesterol range for anyone under 60 would be 120 to 240. Okay, but a functional range for a woman over 60 would be 200 to 300. So a little different, a little higher range, functional range for women over 60. Isn't that interesting? There's a wonderful book called Put Your Heart in Your Mouth by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. It's one of my go-to cardiovascular books Um, over the years, and I've lent it to clients, especially those who have that standard lipid philosophy so ingrained in them, you know, that tells you fats are bad, cholesterol is horrible. But in this book, the author shares studies where researchers in France found that women with a higher level of cholesterol live long and healthy lives, while women with low cholesterol are five times more likely to die early. 
cholesterol is protective as we age. We got to know that. And one major thing it's important for is our brain health. Dr. Campbell McBride describes our brains as cholesterol hungry. It uses about 25% of our body's cholesterol. Now, what happens to a brain when there's not enough cholesterol? Memory loss, degenerative disease, Alzheimer's. There's also a link between low cholesterol and Parkinson's disease. So just remember, you know, the, I, the goal is not to get your cholesterol down as low as you possibly can. Low cholesterol is dangerous to the body. It contributes to MS, aggressive behavior, poor hormonal function. You know, we've got to have cholesterol to make hormones. We need cholesterol to make stress hormones. I mean, we just, we need cholesterol, okay? Just understand that. It's really important to the body. Now, most of our cholesterol is made by our bodies in the liver, the intestines, the ovaries, the muscles, the adrenals, the skin. Every single cell in the body is able to produce cholesterol. And we make 60 to 80% of our own cholesterol. The rest comes from diet and intestinal absorption. Our bodies are so smart, you know? So when there's more cholesterol coming in from the diet, the body will make less. And when there's less coming from the diet, the body will make more. So it it knows how to balance that out. So eating less eggs is not necessarily going to decrease your cholesterol levels, okay? So eat your eggs. Your body knows how to make up the difference if it needs to, if it's not getting enough from the diet or the body's not making enough, okay? Um, what What diet does affect, though, is triglycerides. So 90% of triglycerides are taken from your diet. Excess triglycerides that are not used as energy, and two big users of this energy are your heart and skeletal muscle, but the excess triglycerides not used as energy are stored in your adipose tissue, your fat tissue. And so when it comes to triglycerides, you, again, you want to keep those carbs in check and the inflammatory oils. Sometimes the body's inability to properly metabolize fats can be a problem here, or if there's poor bile flow and cholesterol cannot be properly eliminated from the body, it can be a contributing factor to higher triglyceride numbers. Um, But, you know, the first thing we have to look at is, are you overeating carbohydrates or the inflammatory fats? From a functional standpoint, we want to keep those triglyceride numbers between 50 to 100. Okay, a standard range allows it to go up to 150. But we want to keep that a little tighter for optimal health. So keep that triglyceride number between 50 and 100. Okay, and again, so those nutritional considerations would be refined and processed carbohydrates, vegetable or seed oils, poor metabolism of fats. Um, Are you getting, you know, a good enough bile flow? Okay, so if you have high triglycerides, that from a nutritional um, standpoint is what you want to look at. Um, Okay, let's talk about LDL and HDL. Again, when we're looking at cholesterol, we we have to break down all these numbers and look at them individually and put them in some context. So this is what, you know, is quote unquote the bad and good cholesterol. Let's Let's start with what's considered the bad. Poor LDL gets the bad rap. It is the protein carrier that moves cholesterol and triglycerides from your liver out to your body, to the cells. Okay? And the triglycerides are used for fuel, and the cholesterol is used as repair material. So it's important to know it's not really the LDL itself that's the problem. You know, the question we want to ask is why is LDL being mobilized? Why is it being sent out into the body? If you're on a ketogenic diet, you may have higher LDLs because the body is mobilizing more fat to be used as fuel. So that's one thing, you know, you could be on a ketogenic diet and get your numbers back and your LDL be high and everybody's freaking out. But um, that would be one of the causes, you know, is your body is simply utilizing more fat and it's being delivered by the LDL. If you have inflammation in your arterial walls, cholesterol may be mobilized by LDL to help soothe and patch them up. When cells are damaged, 
they require cholesterol and fats to be repaired. So cholesterol is really this repairing mechanism. All right. Now, HDL has the opposite job of LDL. It takes cholesterol from your tissues back to the liver, kind of back to home base. So the reason it's considered the good one is because cholesterol is not going to your cells. You know, it's really leaving your cells and traveling back to the liver. And so this can indicate that cholesterol was not needed for repair. And that is a good thing, right? But again, LDL and the HDL are not in and of themselves good or bad. They're kind of like the fire truck. When there's a fire, the fire truck goes to the fire. And when the fire is out or you don't need emergency assistance, the fire truck goes back to the station. You don't say the fire truck is bad when it's on the way and good when it comes back, right? The main focus, the main concern is the fire. Why, why was there a fire? We call fire in the body inflammation. A person with active inflammation is likely going to have higher levels of LDL because the body is taking cholesterol there to repair it. So what are the things that can be causing a fire in the body? Well, kind of the same old, same old bad guys, a diet high refined in carbs, you know, or the vegetable oils, but also liver dysfunction, hypothyroidism, oxidative stress, gut dysbiosis or a gut infection, we talked about that last week, environmental toxins and chemicals, there are a lot of things it could be. But that's what we have to figure out. I mean, if you have hypothyroidism, or low functioning adrenals, that could be your problem. You know, the cholesterol isn't broken down and removed from the blood as efficiently in those cases. So this is one of the cool things I'm learning in this class is how to cross-reference these numbers. You know, when we have liver enzyme markers, we could look at those to see if maybe the liver is burdened and not being able to break down and assimilate fats and cholesterol properly. We could look at the thyroid numbers and see if maybe that's contributing and how could we support the body there. So there are a lot of things to consider. It's not just looking at that LDL number like, oh, that's high. You know, because what unfortunately often happens is a statin is prescribed. But that's not really addressing the fire. It's kind of like addressing the fire truck, right? I mean, again, I'm not a doctor. It's not my place to tell you to get or not get a statin. But what is my place is to give you some food for thought, literally, um, and give you some context and to remind you that there are side effects to statins that cause real health problems. So to me, I think, you know, why would we use a statin as a first line of defense without addressing the things that could be driving up the LDL? I'm going to explain here in a little bit um, when we get to another marker why I think my LDL is high. Okay, just to give you some more context. But reducing the body's ability to get cholesterol, to make cholesterol and get it to the cells, generally limits the amount of helpful cholesterol that our body needs to optimally function. Like I said earlier, our brains, our hormones, our adrenals, you know, our bodies need cholesterol. And you put yourself at risk if you don't have enough of it. I'm not going to say there's never a need for a statin, but they're kind of handed out like candy prescriptions, you know, like kind of like antibiotics. And all I'm saying is try to first address the source of your fire, whether it be nutritionally or working on your gut or reducing the number of chemicals you use on your body in your home, uh, maybe a liver detox. You know, there are so many things to start with before you start with this, um, this major drug that has side effects. Again, not a doctor. I'm just saying, as your nutritionist, here's another um, Kukurama saying about statins is that they deplete the body of CoQ10, which is really important for heart health. So that doesn't make sense, right? Your, your prescription, your quote unquote, heart healthy prescription of a statin depletes your body of a really important um, antioxidant that helps your body uh, with its normal levels of oxidative, um, keeps your normal oxidative state of LDLs, keeps that in check. It's really important for your heart muscle. 
Okay, so when here's the thing. When cholesterol becomes oxidized, um, that's kind of like gasoline being poured on the whole inflammation fire. Oxidized cholesterol creates free radicals in the body and it's extremely damaging. And one thing that leads to an increased um, oxidation of cholesterol is high blood sugar. Okay, so again, you know, circling back to, you know, having good blood sugar regulation and monitoring that HbA1c, so important. When you have oxidized cholesterol, it's like this double hit of inflammation. You know, you, you already have some inflammation present in your body, and then your body delivers cholesterol to help, you know, to that site to help repair it. But then the cholesterol becomes damaged because of all of that, the same things causing the inflammation in the first place. And then that cholesterol becomes oxidized, creating free radicals and creating more damage. And then your body tries to send more cholesterol. And it's just this vicious cycle, right, that can lead to a, this dangerous buildup in your arterial walls and lead to a cardiac event. But, you know, CoQ10, that's kind of where we started with this, is um, an important antioxidant. And those, all those antioxidants that we want to we get from our diet help protect us from these free radicals in the body that can cause oxidative stress. But the statins deplete that, you know, which is not helpful. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Another thing to take into consideration if you have high LDL number is particle size. It's not traditionally included on a standard lipid panel, but you could ask for the particle test. Um, people who have mostly small LDL particles have a high risk of heart disease, and those with mostly large particles have a low risk. I kind of think of them as hard BBs or light fluffies. If you have light fluffies, you don't need to worry so much. Another measurement is the particle number or LDLP. That measures how many particles are floating around in your bloodstream. And studies have shown that LDLP is um, a more accurate prediction of risk for cardiovascular disease than LDLC, you know, like your, your typical LDL reading. APOB, uh, which is, an, uh, is another way of measuring this. Again, you're not likely to find these on standard panels, but if you need to dig a little bit deeper, you could ask for those, okay? So giving you lots of options here if you have a, a high LDL number, um, lots of things to look at, okay? A functional range for LDL is 40 to 120, but if you're over 60, that would be 120 to 170. So again, a little higher, you know, as you age, a little bit, a little bit higher uh, range that you can be in. Mine came in at a lovely 138. So again, the functional range for me is 40 to 120. Mine came in at a 138. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, as I said earlier, total cholesterol is not all that helpful. Some lab panels will assess your total cholesterol to HDL ratio. So uh, the higher that ratio, the greater the risk of coronary heart disease. So that would be your cholesterol, your total cholesterol number divided by your HDL number. And you want that less than three. Okay, that's the functional ratio, less than three. The standard ratio is less than 4.4. But again, we won't keep it tight up in here. Okay, the next, um, the next marker that we want to talk about is C-reactive protein. Okay. Wait, did I tell y'all the functional range for HDL? I can't remember. Let me say it. Let me just say in case I did not. For HDL, we want that functional range if you're a female to be between 65 and 85. If you're a male, 55 to 75. Okay. That's, we do want to look for that encourage that. We do want to, you know, encourage good HDL. Okay, so CRP, C-reactive protein, high sensitivity, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. It's an inflammation marker, okay, will help determine if inflammation is putting you at a higher cardiovascular risk. So C-reactive protein is synthesized in the liver and it elevates in response to infections, inflammatory conditions, and trauma. So this is a good one to look at. It will let you know if your body is in fuego, if you got a little fire going on in there. So 
less than one, one or less is a low risk. If it's one to three, that's an increased risk. Three to 10 is advanced risk. Okay, so that will give you a good clue as to how inflamed your body is. And the things we want to look at, nutritional considerations, um, same players here, you know, cut out refined and processed carbohydrates, the vegetable, the seed oils. We want to look at gut dysbiosis or infection, you know, can always be a source of inflammation. With that, you know, food sensitivities can be leading to inflammation. Um, kind of described that last week in last week's podcast, you know, if you with a leaky gut, if your body is leaking foods into the bloodstream and these kind of big macromolecules and your immune system is like, why is that here? And freaks out and sends all of its chemical weapons to take care of it and sends all the red lights, the sirens, the alarms. I mean, that is inflammation in your body, right? And so, um, you know, you could do a food sensitivity test like an MRT to identify those, take those out of your diet as you work on gut healing and your gut protocol and just kind of take help take that burden off um help take some of that inflammatory factor off the body okay but crp is a really important key cardio lab marker okay the next one i want to talk about is homocysteine this is the one that came back high on my panel and what i think is driving up my ldl so homocysteine is an amino acid normally present in very small amounts in the blood. When it's elevated, it leads to inflammation in the blood vessels. It's linked to arthrosclerosis and creates an increased risk for strokes and heart attacks. Scary, right? Mine is elevated, and it has been for a while, actually. Um, the functional range for homocysteine is 4 to 7. Mine came back at 9. I looked back at a panel I did a few years ago and it was a 12. So it's come down, but it's still a problem. And y'all, when we're looking at these functional ranges, you know, and the way that um, I'm looking at, I'm learning to look at them in this class is, I mean, anything above is a red flag, you know? So if, so it may be like, oh, it's just a nine. If the range is four to seven, it's nine. That's not that far off. No. No, if it was 8, if it was 7.5, we want to take note here because, again, the closer we are and cl the tighter we are in this optimal range, um, the better we're helping our body to avoid problems, right? So we want to pay attention to this. So at a 9, gosh, at a 12, it, you know, that that is scary. But um, even at a 9, I don't want it there. It's too high, okay? But that probably is the reason my body is sending the fire truck out more often, right? Now, here's the deal. Certain B vitamins help break down homocysteine, okay? And so if there is a deficiency in these vitamins, namely B6, B12, and folate, or if the body can't effectively utilize those B vitamins, homocysteine will remain in the blood and serum levels will be elevated, so first and foremost, we've got to make sure we're getting enough B vitamins. But when homocysteine levels are high, this is often a big clue that your body is not utilizing B vitamins well, and specifically can indicate an MTHFR gene mutation. Okay, MTHFR, I am not going to try to pronounce the, that what that stands for, the long name. And you've probably maybe heard this, uh, this term for it, MTHFR. It's an enzyme that we need in this process to convert folate from food into methylfolate, which is the active form that our body needs and uses. Okay, methylfolate is critical to methylation. Getting kind of nerdy here. And methylation helps optimize all kinds of processes in the body, you know, including the production of DNA, metabolism of hormones, and proper detoxification. Now, 30 to 60% of all people carry an MTHFR gene variant, which may lead to low levels of folate and B vitamins and high levels of homocysteine 
in the blood. Over time, these downstream effects of mutations in the MTHFR gene can put people at a higher risk for problems, you know, like heart disease, colon cancer, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, and more, okay? So it turns out that I have one of these MTHFR gene variants. And like I said, 30 to 60% of people may be carrying one of these gene variants. We call them a SNP, okay? So I had a 23andMe test done several years ago that showed this. I don't know, for whatever reason, I didn't follow up on it. Well, I got the 23andMe and then I got the raw data and then you have to have the raw data um, kind of put through a interpretive program so it, it comes out and it explains it to you. Anyway, the whole process, it took me a while to get it together on that. And so when, by the time I finally got it, I just... I kind of looked at it and then I didn't really uh, do anything with it, sadly. Um, but once I got these blood test results back that I just got, I went out and dug that up, that gene report, and started looking through it. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So that MTHFR SNP was there, you know, the gene variant that um, makes me prone to not being able to convert this folate to methylfolate and, and therefore, you know, this homocysteine level would be higher in my blood. But I had some other SNPs that were I'd forgotten about. One that indicates I'm a slow metabolizer of caffeine. One that indicates that I have a potential for lower intestinal microbial diversity. Hello, we just talked about that last week. Um, a lower B12 status. One that indicates I have reduced ability to convert plant sources of omega-3 to active EPA and DHA. So, I mean, chia and flax ain't going to cut the mustard for me. I need, like, the fish oil or, you know, eat the fish. Um, but anyway, if you do have an MTHFR gene variant, it's recommended to use methylated B vitamins. Okay. So, really, that's what that would be... Um, kind of the response to that. Now, before I do that, though, I'm going to experiment with taking the liver capsules and see if that moves the needle at all. That's what I've been using as our family's kind of main vitamin source. You may remember I talked about that in the back to school podcast back in August and the different supplements that I give my kids. And I've been so pleased since then to read about and talk to other practitioners like Dr. Axe who regularly take liver pills. I mean, that just makes sense to me, you know, to get these vitamins. I mean, liver is a superfood, so full of amazing um, vitamins and some minerals. And to get those from a whole food source like liver. Um, I did try to eat liver recently. Did I tell you all this story? I can't remember if I told you. I feel like I just talked about this recently. But um, I did make it because, I mean, hello. We have a lot of grass-fed liver, and I tried to make it, and I I could not eat it. I could not choke it down. I tried. I even did it, like did a little breading and did it in some butter, and that didn't even do it. <laughs> I had three bites. I was like, nope, I can't do this. I am going to give it another try, but what I'm going to do in the meantime is be very vigilant about taking um, liver pills. I haven't been taking them because I've been, you know, on this gut protocol and taking so many other things. But now, you know, I'm winding down with that. And so I'm going to take the liver pills um, and see if that helps. Um, it will be something I'll have to continue to monitor, right? Because I have this genetic SNP. So got to be extra vigilant with the Bs, first of all, with the B vitamins. And then we want to make sure that that is converting well. So I'm going to be, I'll retest down the road and see about that. But that's where I'm going to start. That's kind of what my gut tells me to do. Okay, just a few more markers to go over here. This next one is super important. A vitamin D. You want to keep your vitamin D, that, that marker, that 25 OH level, in a functional range of about 50 to 90. That is the functional range. Now, you need cholesterol to be able to synthesize the vitamin D that you get from the sun. And vitamin D helps keep the, um, the arteries flexible and healthy and helps prevent the stiffening associated with atherosclerosis. Okay? y'all. It's embarrassing. These lab numbers are kind of embarrassing. My vitamin D level is at a 26. 
Hello. What? My eyes about came out of my head when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's great. Um, the thing is, you know, you really don't know what your vitamin D level is unless you're tested for it. I have not been taking a vitamin D supplement because honestly, I just thought I was probably good. I mean, I'm in the sun a lot. I mean, I know it's winter, but I get so much sun during the rest of the year. And I just really thought I was probably good. I mean, you, you know, you also, you don't want to get your too much vitamin D um, or, you know, over supplement it. It can lead to a buildup of calcium in your blood. So you do have to be mindful of supplementation. Um, I think getting your vitamin D checked annually is a really smart thing to do. You can have your doctor add it to your panel, or you can order a standalone vitamin D test. It's not that expensive. Um, but obviously I'm going to have to add this to my supplement, um, regime and check it again to make sure I'm on track. Um, I like the, the biotics, um, their, their vitamin D, their drops, their D3. Again, all my supplement choices are on that master wellness and supplement list that you can get. If you go to my website, um, you can download it. And then I have all, you know, all my choices there. The things that I like to use for this kind of stuff. Okay, the last marker that can be useful to look at um, is your bun. Mind your bun, honey. Um, bun stands for a blood urea nitrogen. And it's really a marker to screen for kidney health. But when it is high, it is often a sign of dehydration. And you might remember from the podcast I did about the top 10 health game changers that water is the number one nutritional deficiency in the United States and that water is critical to the very foundational functioning of our bodies. You know, with dehydration comes increased blood pressure. And there are so many people on blood pressure medication. And it could be a water crisis in the body. Lack of water. Now, I'm embarrassed to say that my bun came a little higher. That number was a little higher than what is ideal in the functional range. You want that bun number to be between 10 and 16. Mine was just a little high. But again, going to pay attention to that. If yours is high, drink more water and less things that dehydrate you, like coffee and wine. <clears throat> Note to self. Okay. <laughs> okay, my friends. I hope that this gives you a sense of how to approach your lab results from a functional perspective and a nutritional perspective. Again, that's the lens I'm looking through as I learn to evaluate these kinds of blood panels, which is great, you know, because these are common tests um, which doctors run often that you get often, and they give us a lot of information about your health, about the changes we can make, um, especially when we apply a functional range to these numbers. The way that you eat and the way that you drink are always going to have an impact, the biggest impact on your health. And we know that we have so much power to change our health and its trajectory with food. Right? That's the good news. I invite you to join us for Feast to Fast, um, where we really dial this in and learn to eat in a way where real food meets real life. It is not a temporary cleanse or some kind of unsustainable diet where you, you know, have two shakes a day and just one meal or something like that. Mm, that is not going to cut the mustard. It's going to balance your blood sugar, you know, which I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast is a problem for so many people and is really important for heart health and overall health. And it's going to keep you focused on the Lord. Um, I'm so excited for this next round because we do it for the season of Lent. It's the only round of Feast to Fast that is six and a half weeks instead of four. And we step it up a little. We do a little extra sugar detoxing, a little more super fasting. But it's still the same wonderful real life approach that shows you how to make room for the heck yows in your life. And um, eat in a sustainable way, you know, and stop overthinking food, stop yo-yo dieting, just really settle into this nice place where real food meets real life and that you can do um, managing your schedule with your family um, all while focusing on the Lord. So I invite you to come join us for that. Um, we start this Wednesday. My goodness, 
We're starting on Wednesday, so come join us for that. Um, I hope today was helpful. If you have any questions about it, feel free to, you know, shoot me an email or something. Um, but, and again, all the numbers are in the show notes. And so if you want to get out your latest lab panel, just kind of compare notes, I'll try to organize the show notes in a way that it's, you know, easy to, to find the numbers. We'll highlight them or something so that you can easily look at those and kind of compare notes to what you've got and see if you're in these functional ranges. And, you know, and if not, then consider some of those things we talked about today, the context. And then um, you, again, so much power in your hands you can make changes accordingly. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.